Welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to another SECPA session. Uh, SECPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the land of the Blackfoot people on the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. And we, may, we pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship to the land. SACPA is very thankful for the continued support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Um, we're very thankful also for our speaker today, Lynn Jacobson, President of the Alberta Federation of Agriculture, who is uh, kindly with us for the next hour on the topic of current challenges for Alberta's and Canada's farmers. Mr. Jacobson's farm is located in Inchant, Alberta, mostly irrigated. He's a board member of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. He currently participates in various commission committees and boards, including the Marketing of Agricultural Products Council of Alberta, the Canadian Energy Regulator, Land Matters Committee, and Cooperators Insurance Delegate. In the past, he was an Alberta Wheat Pool Delegate, President of the Alberta Soft Wheat Products Producers Commission and the Alberta Wheat Commission's Director. Thank you so much, Lynn, for joining us today. We look forward to your talk. <laughs> uh, thank you, Annalise. Uh, I'm happy to be here and like to say greetings to everybody. And I'm glad you, you did the initial greeting. That, that always saves me uh, <laughs> some uh, angst and trying to get that right. Anyways, today I'd like to, to talk about... Uh, uh, agriculture issues and some present issues that are happening in, in, in Canada and Alberta. Uh, particularly, some will apply just to us, but uh, uh, most of the time, the, the scope of, that we're going to talk about or today is going to be on a national scale as we go forward because, uh, well, we don't maybe not think we're uh, not affected by those national issues. We really are. Anyway, uh, as said, I'm the president of uh, the Alberta Federation of Agriculture. We're the larger producer-funded GFO in, in Alberta. Uh, our membership basically is a voluntary membership with a voluntary, uh, you know, participation from producers. We're also a member of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, as mentioned. And the Canadian Federation of Agriculture really is the largest uh, general farm organization in Canada with over 200,000 members. And it's a, it's a national organization that is very diverse. It's probably the most diverse organization in Canada uh, for agriculture anyways. It's, and I'll name some of the members, I guess. It takes in all of the SM5, which is supply management groups, are part of, uh, part of the CFA. We've got members from aquaculture, horticulture, fruit farmers, mushroom farmers, we've got people there from the horse industry, we've got greens and oilseed producers, uh, and, and, a, and a few more uh, organizations. So as you can see, it's a very diverse organization. And really, it's one of the, the strengths of that organization and a strength for us as an organization here, because now we get this talk, talk to organizations all across the country. We get to take a look at their concerns we get to know the people, and really, we're not isolated islands. So something that affects us out here in Alberta hasn't affected other parts of the country. And when people are, I guess, promoting their policies and that, uh, to be able to take a look at what's going to happen and the effect that's going to happen 
on other parts of the country really is important. And to CFA gives us that national scope uh, and, and the ability to sort of recognize those differences, but also there's, a, I guess, the willingness to work with other groups together to, to accommodate everybody's needs and try to come together with a joint message. Anyways, I'd like to acknowledge uh, or just acknowledge the effect that COVID-19 has had on our industry and also on the Canadian industries. We're nowhere in some tough times and uh, it's changing times. And what this has brought forward lots of times is issues for the near future and and also for the for the long range future of, of our organization and our country to a certain degree. Uh, some of the things that are near term are the, are the economy uh, and how that's going to affect us uh, in the as we go forward in the next year or so. Uh, also, uh, we sort of tested our health system to a large degree this year, and we've sort of uh, shown up uh, maybe some of the shortfalls in our health industry, our education system. Uh, they're all issues that affect all of us, uh, rural or urban. So. I guess as we go forward, how we operate and, and accommodate these different conditions and that uh, still has to be worked out. But uh, we're, we're going on uh, and we'll see how this works out, <laughs> I guess, in the long run. Anyway, uh, our industry, when I specifically focus on agriculture, uh, we've had a very good, well, I guess, a very good year last year. And I, that maybe didn't make that much sense by saying it that way, but last year was was a really good year for the oil and, and oil seed and grains industry and a lot of the, some of the specialty crop industry. Uh, we've had re some record high prices come about, um, and, and some of our other problems on delivery and accessing our markets have gone so relatively unscathed in some parts of our industry. Other parts of the ag industry, though, have suffered. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go forward. Some of the, the areas, though, that did have trouble were the red meat industries, specifically talk about the beef and pork or the main ones on that area. And it wasn't production uh, issues. It was more of the marketing and, and pricing for those uh, those things. And then areas of the of agriculture, basically, that rely on temporary foreign workers and labor uh, for their farms. That's another issue. Uh, and that has had an effect on on some of our industries. And uh, I guess the last latest recognition or the latest statistics that we've seen come out is saying because of labor shortages in agriculture, probably we've lost about $2.8 billion in sales and economic activity because of that temporary foreign uh, or that labor shortage as we go forward. So anyways, uh, get on to some of my topics now. Um, and I'd like to talk to you about basically some of the issues affecting Alberta and Canadian uh, producers right now. One of the important things that we talk about is research, and specifically agriculture research. Uh, now, agriculture research, you know, to a large extent on our end, is probably two broad categories, which would be uh, one of them would be primary research, which would be the upper end of, of the research. And for us, it would be more of the seed development and those type of activities. And then we, we would talk about the other aspect would be the applied research as we go forward. It would be the agronomics of agriculture and how that's applied. And as an example of that, the agronomics, you've got uh, 
really uh, around Lethbridge, we've got the smart, smart um, Farming Smarter uh, group uh, led by Ken Coles. And uh, that's the type of work that, that applied research uh, is what he's really talking about. Uh, one of the interesting statistics, I guess, about research on that if you take a look at all the money that's spent on research, whether federal and provincial and that, only 25% of that whole research budget in the country is supplied by, by farmers. And that's, uh, it's a bit surprising. Everybody thinks we're, we're, dealing, we're, we're gathering in millions of dollars. And while we are gathering in a fairly large sum, in the overall, I guess, uh, scheme of things, uh, we are, we're only funding about 25% of that research per year. Uh, that's the dollars that were taken and the dollars that are spent. So we do need partners, and some of our partners at this point in time are the private industry, but government funding is, is, a, is a large part of the, the rest of that, that funding. So when we talk about research uh, in Alberta specifically, and I'll, I'll stay on that to begin with, uh, we've had some changes to our agriculture regime, and uh, the French government, to a certain extent, has uh, been working towards what they call farmer-driven research. So they started up the RDAR group, which they say is results-driven agriculture research, um, I guess, uh, directed by farmers, and, and that's well and good. But there's some concerns that we've had with this, uh, this change, and... Uh, well, we're not certain how everything's going to work out. We do know there is some things that have happened, and, and we can probably predict on some of the areas what's going to happen. Now, with the changes that happened there, where there were about 250 to 300 people that were let go out of the agriculture department in, in Alberta. So it was a huge, uh, I guess, a huge effect on staffing and, and on people. Uh, and agriculture research really relies on people. Uh, you got to have the money, but you need the people to do it. So what uh, the, the Alberta government basically said, they're going to put in $37 billion per year, um, but that $37 billion is also CAP funding, which is a federal program. So the, the money that's coming to our research in Alberta basically is a blend of uh, venture money and, and federal money. Uh, but what's happened that... Uh, I guess with, with the loss of, uh, I guess, and, and the let go of a lot of the people as we go forward, um, is the infrastructure that's happened. Now, uh, by taking out, uh, I guess, research in Alberta, and we think that's going to be one of the issues, or one of the issues is going to be extension agriculture and extension research basically is gone out of Alberta at this point in time. It's, it's focused on. And as we look at the RDAR, model every group now that wants funding and that is applying to RDAR for funds to, to fund the research projects as we go for. But one of the things that uh, has happened with the staff reduction and that some of the top scientists have gone to universities and um, colleges and, and, and agriculture schools. Uh, but there is that whole group of technicians and that that supported all them that system uh, of in the in the Alberta government that is gone at this point in time. Uh, so one of the things that we're kind of worried about basically is when you're applying for research now, uh, 
when you the scientists did it in the in the former regime or what under the Alberta thing, they could de- do their money. They had their things, but the technicians were paid for by the by the Alberta government. They were funded. They were employees of the Alberta government, and they supplied a lot of that infrastructure and that. So we have some concerns about what's going to happen in that area uh, because now this money, if you're going to get, say, $5 million or $4 million as a research project over five years or four years, part of that money now is going to have to go for more staffing. and, and, and do, So we can see a shortfall and, and maybe a, uh, a lack of funding uh, to the same degree it did for the research and or the actual research itself is going to go for more for the staffing and that. So another issue, too, about the universities and colleges, uh, that's all well and good, and we're pushing a lot of research towards the university and colleges, but now we're in a regime where the university and colleges, now their, their money from the federal, provincial government, and that has been cut, and their, their budgets have been cut back. So how that's going to work, uh, work in the long run, we'll have to see yet. Uh, and we don't know exactly how that's going to work out. Uh, but we do think there's going to be less capacity and money for research in, in, in the future as we go forward, and we're going to have to be more particular. I know there has been some groups, especially from the applied research groups, uh, applying for that, and they, they have made some different suggestions on funding themselves or funding or the crop commissions funding them as we go forward. But those are all details that can't happen, and you need some legislative changes to be able to ha- happen this. And I'd also like to say, on that area uh, of research and research funding, usually research happens over a long period of time and our funding agreements uh, basically last for about five years at a time. So long-term funding is really not there and a lot of the research projects take 10 years or 15 years to go along. So we've always had the problem, whether it's on the federal or the provincial end, of keeping and continuing that research as we go forward for long-term funding especially when usually everything works on a five-year cycle and things happen within a five-year cycle. You could change a government, you could change administrators. Uh, that always has had an effect on, on research and how it's, uh, I guess, uh, done and the commitment towards research. So that's one of the things that uh, we're, we're a bit worried about. Okay, now we'll turn on to a little bit on the, re- on the federal end on the research. And really for the, the federal end, that's the lifeblood of our industry to a large extent. Uh, the fed, the federal government, and the public research budget is probably the largest budget and the largest funder uh, of, of, I guess, of research for agriculture in Canada as we go forward. And some of our concerns basically are on that long-term funding as we go forward. Now, last year we had some issues in that, and uh, one of the things that the government had stated uh, last year, uh, they don't state it now, uh, is basically they were talking, or AAFC was talking about, they wanted to move from their present model of funding public research and then primary research to the upper end again and then move upstream. So they would want to be more doing uh, you know, the, the new crop development and those type of issues. Uh, those those areas of research and new development of you know uh, different uh, research models and different uh, techniques for breeding and that. And then that's where they wanted to, more focused on and then they were going to leave more of the applied research uh, crop and the development of varieties as as they were produced to the private industry or or, or uh, I guess producer funded organizations they wanted to move away from that well um, 
really the reaction from farmers was was not very good on that stated uh, things and some of the things that have happened with some of the issues and one of the issues I'll mention uh, basically has maybe changed uh, the federal government's mind on talking about that and uh, we're still in continuing talks with the, the federal government the AAFC about some of this research and the funding as we go forward. But as, as we know, uh, crop development in Canada uh, really is important for us as we go forward. And I guess I'd like to, to say right off the bat, uh, some of the changes that the public part of the research and the public funding that has happened is a big support of us and in within our industry. Uh, and there's no way that we can make up the money. And I guess for us as producers, uh, I guess our organization's feeling is no way do we want to turn this all over to the private industry either. So some that's some issues. Anyways, I wanted to talk about some of the things that have happened with under that research uh, mode. And I need to get, have a drink, a drink here for a second. Anyway, I'd like to talk about one of the issues that uh, under research that happened last year is a, what they call the seed modernization effort. And a little bit of ex, ex, explanation on that was uh, about beginning of uh, 1999, oh, January, February, uh, there was some meetings where uh, the government had come out and they were talking about seed modernization. And seed modernization basically comes down to the UPOV 91 issues, which is, and the UPOV 91 is le a legislation that basically uh, addresses uh, patent protection and intellect around intellectual property and physical property. So uh, with that passing of that uh, legislation, that UPOV 91, uh, the government went ahead and they consulted with uh, only certain segments of the of the industry, and basically that was more of the seed trade industry on the seed modernization. Anyway, the government did come up with a plan uh, they thought was acceptable, and then, and then they presented this plan. But basically, part of that plan, as we go, went forward, was uh, modeled a bit on on what the French do and other countries do with their seed industry. Um, and some of the, the things that have happened with within their industry, uh, they were thinking, okay, they were, would be acceptable. But one of the some of the models, or one of the models that they talked about, basically, was the French model, uh, where uh, intellectual property in UPOV ninety one is is recognized, and I guess as we go forward with their model, uh, it would shift more of the of the emphasis of seed development onto the private industry uh it would take some of their uh investment out of seed uh, development and modern and the public breeding end of it and give more weight to the private industry end of it it also was going to introduce what uh, a trailing royalty on seed and that's really is a is a large issue for us in in i guess in canada and canadian producers what that trailing royalty basically was uh, threatening, I guess, or I guess the purpose was uh, every time we in Canada buy or as, as a producer, we go and buy certified seed to seed on our farms, we own that seed and we got the right to use it the next year uh, with under the Farmer Save Seed Act as we go forward. Um, 
the trailing royalty basically though was saying, okay, you can buy your seed, you'll have your farmer save seed, and you can use that seed. But every time you use that seed, how many bushels do you use for to seed on your farm? You got to pay another royalty on it. So it was an ongoing royalty as we going forward. And really, what that did was really make, take uh, or I guess it's just stopped the ability for farmer for farmers to save seed. It would just, you know, make that uh, that legislation and that that practice obsolete because you were going to have to pay a trailing royalty. And we did some calculations on that. And uh, right now in Alberta, there's about eight million dollars a year uh, spent. I, I guess this is Western Canada. Uh, there's about eight million dollars a year spent on certified seed that people. Uh, producers uh, purchase with a trailing royalty it was going to raise that payment up to 50 million dollars and that was in perpetuity or 20 years on a variety so there was a huge difference in in how that was going to affect so that's where we were were looking at um really at some of the meetings that um, um <clears throat> that happened uh when people or producers actually started got a look at the system that was being proposed there was quite a quite a blow up <laughs> is is what it was uh, some of the meetings got pretty uh rambunctious <laughs> would be a way of saying it uh, and there was something said in that but uh yeah it was uh i think it was a surprise for uh the federal government uh that the reaction was out there because well They've been talking about this. A lot of people haven't been paying attention, but when it was actually brought public, that's when it's really started to get. So, and then part of the things that come out of this whole thing too was with the government's stated role within this seed development thing, modernizing or what they call the seed modernization. And they were going to move upstream and they were going to leave more of the, you know, the development of the produced seed or the, the varieties to, to the industry. Uh, then, you know, farmers didn't like that. So, what we did as general farm organizations, especially in Western Canada, and that, and I talk about the three prairie provinces of Keystone Agriculture Producers, Agriculture Producers Association of Saskatchewan, and our organization, we did a survey of producers that we sent it out in all three provinces, and it over, overwhelmingly come back that farmers were not willing to go for a seed or trading royalty system. They did not want the government to back away from public funding. Uh, they wanted to keep that system going. And no, well, uh, I guess the seed trade industry and the government to some degree was talking about, uh, you know, new variety development on seed as we go forward. Uh, I guess we as producers have been very satisfied with the public system and development of seed as we go. In fact, the top varieties in Canada and many of the top varieties that are used in the States come out of Canadian research. Uh, so at this point in time, we we have been looking at uh, you know the different systems and we know in the long run uh, producers are going to have to start putting a little bit more money into research if we want to keep the public research active and we're going to have to maybe up our ante as producers uh, in the future. Uh, there are some of the things though that we do not want to let go and we do not want to turn our system over. In fact, uh, to the private, I guess we do not do not want to really turn our breeding system over to the private industry or private uh, companies. Uh, we've looked at and some of the models that uh, by turning it over to the private trade basically has been talked about is a canola model, a seed development where the federal government 
and public breeding basically got the variety, got the genes in for the Roundup Ready canolas and, and, and uh, GMO part of that uh, component. And then they turned it over to the private industry. And the private industry basically has is, is controlled that. And some of the prices for seed in that, uh, a lot of producers feel that's maybe a little bit exorbitant uh, and, the price and, and, and very pricey, that system. So I guess some of our motivation is looking at that type of model and saying we don't want that type of model for the rest of our industry as we go forward. So that's uh, some of the things that uh, have happened on that seed modernization and that research. And really it shows how important, I guess, in our mind, how public dollars and the research is done and how beneficial it is not only to us as producers as we go forward, but also to the general public for food production as we go forward. And one of the things that, you know, it's always been said um, basically by 2050, we're going to have to double our food production as agriculture exporting co countries to feed the world. Uh, I maybe not go into, maybe not have to double our production, but we are going to have to look at different means of uh, producing food and get more efficient as we go forward. And the public part of that research is very important, we feel, in that whole process. Uh, so it's going to be a combination, I think, in the future. Uh, private companies will be able to invest and they'll be able to do their things. And, and if they produce a variety that uh, producers like, they can put a trailing royalty on it. But it is their variety. We have not put any of our money into it. But we feel as producers <clears throat> that if public money has gone into it, producer money has gone into it, we do not want to go down that other route of the privatization. So that's one of the issues. Five minutes. Anyway, uh, another issue basically is a business risk management program, and that's a, a real issue that we've been working on here. And this is a, the business risk management program basically for Alberta uh, and most of the, the provinces is about crop insurance, ag stability program, our ag invest, our ag invest program, uh, some of the uh, spring price endorsement uh, programs that we had uh, for 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 I guess for crop spring price endorsement is now gone in Alberta but there's also a livestock price endorsement program so uh, those are some of the things that we talk about when we talk about BRM programs now we've been focusing on what uh, the Ag Stability program for probably the last oh, 12 months almost um, we've always said the Ag Stability program is not really adequate for producers as we go forward, it doesn't cover a lot of our industry, and they need some changes, and we've been pushing on that. Uh, some of the history of it, though, was the Ag Stability Program come in in about, in two, what, 2007, and um, <clears throat> it was a program to stabilize our industry as we go forward and, you know, uh, sort of handle some of them drastic changes in pricing and disaster uh, that happened as we go forward. Um, but some of the things that have happened and uh, one of the things uh, from that original 2007 program was basically uh, two, I guess 2013, the federal government at the time, which was a conservative government, thought the program was getting a little bit too rich. There was going to be too much of a payout. So they put a, a, a payment on what they call the reference margin, uh, which is basically eligible expenses that you can charge on here on your on on your calculation so they put a, a, a cap on that which really cut the program back and they also turned around and they said okay instead of covering up to 80 percent uh, of 
of producers with an unlimited reference margin that were a reference margin that would reflect your farm's you know uh, actual status. They cut it back so you only could get seventy percent of your hundred percent of your reference margin, and then you could only get a payout on seventy percent of the seventy. So they cut the program back a long way. <laughs> but one of the things that happened though after they did that because that program was was really took a lot of paperwork and it was very complicated to figure out your reference margins. Uh, a lot of the people when it first came in were going to their accountants and trying to get this figured out. And we'd heard some people paying up to two or three thousand dollars to the accountant to make the applications. A lot of us were doing it ourselves and I know from my own experience with the egg stability program, every time I'd put in my figures and that, they'd come back and say, well, no, no, no. Once we've checked this out, this isn't quite right. So everything. So a lot of people finally, in the end, saying the coverage isn't worth it at 70% of the 70. Uh, it's not going to affect us, especially on irrigation that much anymore. We're gone. So we just backed out. So we got down to the program, the egg stability program. It was only covering about 40 to 45% of actual producers as we went forward. That was uh, an issue, too, with the federal government. Okay, one of the things that we've done this, this winter, or last winter, uh, basically has been talking to the, the federal government and uh, <clears throat> about the egg stability program. And basically, they turned around and they said, yes, okay, we recognize the needs and that. And as we go forward, uh, we, you know, we... I guess <laughs> don't want to speak for the federal government, but basically they, they recognized our our concerns and that, and they and they and they thought they could sort of address address those concerns. So they basically made an offer in the Fed Prov meetings with the ag ministers. They turned around and said, "Okay, uh, we're going to make an offer here now. We'll we'll uncap the reference margin, so it'll actually show the reference margin with your calculations for each farm. Uh, so it'd be your actual reference margin, and then we're going to raise the limit up." on that instead of paying 70 of the 70 we'll pay 80 percent of the 70. so it was an improvement <laughs> to a certain degree it added about 170 million dollars of federal money into the pot um, and so we said well this is all we're going to get at this point in time as farm organizations it is better than what we get now it'll give more coverage and a little bit more certainty to this program so we as farm organizations all across canada endorse this program um, <clears throat> when it was brought to the fed prov meeting though uh while most of the provinces accepted uh, and said yes they would go along with it the three prairie provinces turned around and said no it's too rich a program we're not going to do it and absolutely refused to go down that route so we started, I guess, a, uh, a campaign that was called Food for Thought, and you maybe had seen some of the, the advertisements on Food for Thought as we go forward. That was a that was a, a program that we put forward and funded by a lot of uh, different egg egg groups across Canada. Uh, we formed a coalition of the cattlemen to the the sheep guys to the all the green guys, uh, fruit everything. Uh, we all bought into the program. The CFA was administering it, the program through Edelman, uh, which is a, a group that does those type of, uh, uh, I guess, projects. And we uh, we were, you know, talked to the different population. We had a letter writing campaign uh, to MPs and MLAs, uh, and it went over very well uh, on that. And uh, we finally got to the point, basically, because uh, of enough pressure being put, I guess, on our three, prairie pro our three prairie provinces, they turned around and they said, okay, 
we're going to have to have another uh, federal meeting. Uh, we talked to the federal government and we said, make the offer since the three prairie provinces wanted that. So the offer was made. There was another meeting held. And the results of that meeting, uh, the prairie provinces didn't buy wholly into it, but they did uh, agree to uncap the reference margin and go to 100% of the reference margin, which probably adds about $90 million back into the, the program. It leaves a lot of federal dollars on the table yet, which uh, the federal government has said uh, if provinces want to readjust this, yes, they do it. Uh, so they could still, you know, join in and, and we could get our 80% of the 70, which would help more industries to go forward. So uncapping the reference margin does help some of our industries and it does help some groups. Uh, other groups, it still doesn't apply very well. Uh, so it's still a program that needs a lot of work. And uh, by 2023, uh, we're supposed to be on, I guess, on route for a new program. Uh, and that's one of the things that uh, we'll be working on in the future is this new Program. We've got uh, FPT people on that FPT committee, and that through CFA and our organization is is heavily involved in that, as other farm organizations, uh, making presentations to the federal government uh, on different ideas. Now, some of the things in Alberta that have come about that we've sort of looked at is uh, because changes that the, I guess the Alberta government is looking at margin-based programs, which are basically insurance type of programs uh, commercial I guess vendors and that end of it uh, well some of them margin based programs do work um, there is issues of uh, of cost to producers and, and things and also if you have multi-year losses what is the cost uh, and the coverage that happens so we do have some concerns about the type of uh, margin based insurance programs and uh, <clears throat> while they can work we need some more certainty and more details as we go forward. So we'll see how that works out uh, as we go along. So how much time do we have left? <laughs> oh, we're done. <laughs> I didn't get to talk about my fa everybody's favorite top carbon tax. <laughs> oh. Anyway, we'll we, have to quit there. We actually have a question on carbon tax already. Oh, no, not carbon oh. tax, on uh, carbon emissions. But um, maybe I'll ask the question then. I'll ask my f the first question, oh, terrible of me. But why don't I ask about carbon tax and give you an, uh, a moment to talk about carbon tax? Oh, okay. <laughs> moderator <laughs> yeah, moderator I, I... Pr privileges. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that sounds good. Anyway, carbon tax. <laughs> this is a highly political issue, everybody. I mean, it's been demonized and everything else across the country and different groups support this and this group supports that. So no, it's going to be hard to come to, to an agreement on, on a lot of this stuff. Anyway, um, one of the things we'd like really to, to, to clear up right off the bat on this talk, basically, in 2020, everybody talks or I guess everybody talks about agriculture's carbon footprint and, and and how terrible it is to a certain degree. When it comes down to it, we're about 8% or 8.8% of Canada's total carbon emissions. Uh, so uh, when you look compare us to other uh, industries such as the oil and gas industry, oil and gas and the transportation industry, which is 50% of the carbon emissions, uh, agriculture doesn't look very bad. And I know everybody picks on to, you know, 
animal agriculture and, you know, the methane uh, uh, emissions and, and some of that stuff. But they never take take that, uh, I guess, the whole picture or never look at the whole picture, especially on, on, on livestock production uh, and the life cycle on that. And when you talk about the cattle live on grasslands and things like this, uh, grasslands really, when it comes to carbon sequestering, are one of the are, are one of the the big sequesters out there when it's managed right, and cattle uh, on that on that landscape basically uh, make that uh, carbon sequestering possible. If you have no animal agriculture on a lot of those grasslands, the grasslands deteriorate and they don't sequester any more carbon. So it's it's a symbiotic relationship uh, with animal agriculture and grasslands. Uh, I know we do have a feedlot industry that, uh, you know, at the end there and, and their emissions are a bit higher. But overall, cattle really are a net benefit uh, and animal agriculture is a, is a benefit to the country, especially in carbon sequestering as we go forward. And I know there's a lot of groups uh, say, well, it's carbon footprint and that, but we suspect a lot of it is uh, just against animal agriculture as we go forward. Anyway, uh, one of the things that... Uh, we talk about uh, with carbon taxes, the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court case, everybody knows about that, has given the, the federal government the, the right to impose a carbon regime on provinces that they have to, to, to live up to if they don't have their own. So uh, we as agriculture producers, uh, I, I would say the majority of agriculture producers do not like the carbon tax in its present form. Uh, our organization has always taken the view as, we're going to have a carbon tax. Uh, so what can we do to mitigate the effects of it? So we've always been looking for ways to, uh, for offsetting and offset programs and offset efforts for sequestering carbon carbon that can basically be used against our, you know, individual footprint or our industry footprint as we go forward. So that's one of our, our things that we've been looking for. Okay. Uh, um. Our next question comes from Maria Fitzpatrick. Um, question of the funding that is available. How much is federal and how much is provincial? Uh, on the safety net programs, I take it. That's where it's going on that one. Uh, the split usually is 60-40. Uh, that's, uh, the, I guess, the split, the 60-40 funding on that end of it. Uh, with and that'd be the, between the provincial and the federal governments. And then the producers basically pay a percentage of the, the, the crop insurance commercial premium on their coverage. So they'd be paying maybe up to half or 50% on that end of it. But the administration and everything else is covered by the governments on that, on their, under their split on their 60-40 programs. Okay. Um, our next question comes from Trevor Page. Agriculture produces one-third of global greenhouse gas emissions. How do you see these being significantly reduced? Yeah, interesting question. But he's talking global and, I guess, uh, livestock agriculture in a lot of different countries. And I guess every country is different in, in how they handle it. For Canada, basically, when it comes down to it, and like I mentioned before, we're about 8% or a little over 8% of the actual carbon emissions 
in Canada is, is animal agriculture. Now, we're talking about sequestering programs and grassland programs and, and different uh, ability of livestock, uh, I guess, agriculture to help uh, with that sequestering program and get recognized. Because yeah, it is a life cycle program. It's not just, you know, at this point in time that the emissions are, and that's the emissions. It's all over a whole life cycle that you got to look at it. And like I talked about, uh, when cattle are out on grass and grazing on forage ground and that, uh, basically that forage and the way it's being helped and then the beneficial effects of that forage as we go forward, uh, basically sequesters carbon in the soil. And you can manage it, and you can increase that by by you know grazing programs and how you handle that. Uh, there also all also is uh, some research that's being done on uh, some different additives to uh, cattle's rations when they're in feedlots, uh, and that's basically the seafood. Uh, some or I guess some some algae or basically um, <laughs> kelp type of uh, seafood. Uh, that's added to the ration that does cut down on the meth on the methane uh, uh, emissions in in livestock feeds. So there is that type of research that's going on too, and that's helping. Our next question comes from Lori Schultz. Are Alberta farmers concerned about the impact on water and or air quality on the crops? Should coal mining on the eastern slopes go ahead? Ah, <laughs> issue. Yes. Uh, and and I would say yes, we are, uh, especially in areas as, as mine that really relies on the eastern slopes for our water supply. Uh, we're not like BC that has a whole range of mountains and a whole different, a uh, whole province to collect water with mountains and runoffs. In Alberta, uh, <clears throat> since prairies are very, and Alberta is is fairly dry, especially in southern Alberta, we rely on those eastern slopes for our water supply, and uh, basically our I guess our feeling as an organization is as we go forward, if we start tampering with that water supply and we do coal mining, it's not only is it going to take a water supply away from us and the allocation because uh, they do need water to, to process the coal and that and, and that. The other part of that uh, mining, though, is is a contaminant and basically psyllium is one of the, the large contaminants that comes out of that and how that flows down and that's not very good. Um, so we don't want to really endanger what we have as an industry in southern Alberta through the irrigation areas, which is one of the largest crop production areas in Canada. Um, I think we produce 40% of all the, all the, all the stuff in, or the food stuff uh, and products in, in Alberta. So we're a large part of the whole industry. And we do have a food processing, food processing industry that's not only sells to domestic it also sells international and you start contaminating that that food supply with with your water supply or other uh you know elements as we go forward it's going to have a real drastic effect on on our i guess our ability to to keep that food processing food processing and our uh, agriculture industry viable on the prairies our next question comes from mark goodall how much do you think the Seed Modernization Act was the result of pressure by companies producing genetically modified cultivars? They want control of their seeds. Yeah, well, yeah. Part of it is is wanting to have the control of the seeds. Another part of it is also um, 
I guess the ability to capitalize more or 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 extract more money um, from producers. As we went down that whole model, uh, the, the the breeding technology, uh, basically the GMO, the old GMO technology, is really falling by the wayside in in a large large degree. We're going to what we call now the CRISPR technologies, uh, which is uh, not the same as a GMO. Uh, and uh, we're hoping that CRISPR technology is going to be accepted in Canada as, as a regular breeding thing. And that's really going to speed up our breeding, breeding process uh, in Canada. But the control of the, of, the, of the system, basically, if you, I guess, instigated what the government was talking, they would move upstream. Um, you, would, you would leave a gap in the middle of the crop development and the variety development after it's being uh, you know, developed by the federal government, they would sell that off, say, on the F6 generation, um, <clears throat> and then that would be under complete control of of a company or whoever bought that, and they would be able to develop it and they'd be able to charge what they want. But the real thing was being able to extract more money and then, I guess, have with the trailing royalty model basically negating or the negative effect that would have on farmers say seed would basically say that we have to go and purchase new seed every year. So it mainly means more money for the for the trade the seed trade industry uh, as we went forward. And one of the interesting things uh, from the seed growers and the seed trade industry, um, they there was a, a proposal to amalgamate the seed trade industry, such as the crop life companies and the, and and those uh, entities with the seed growers and make one organization out of there. Uh, the seed that that come to a vote this winter or the, over the winter, uh, the seed growers rejected that overwhelmingly. Uh, well, maybe not overwhelmingly, but they <laughs> they rejected that uh, that effort and they said no, they wanted to stay independent, which has helped our argument to a large degree uh, that you know producers what they want and has made it uh, you know I guess come to some conclusions and we're working on. Uh, uh, a white paper through the CFA for a presentation to the federal government, and they seem to be listening and are asking for opinion on this whole issue. But we've always said <clears throat> public research, we want to keep that. The funding on that end of that uh, is very important to us as farm organizations and producers. Uh, we have no objection if a seed company wants to develop a variety uh, and they want to put it on the market, they can do what they want and they can treat it uh, however they want. Uh, <clears throat> So, but it would have to be a really, it really have to have some uh, outstanding features for producers to buy into it. Uh, so, uh, on that end of it, uh, we recognize that the seed trade industry would like to take control of the reading industry, but, you know, we're fighting them on that issue, I guess, and saying, no, we don't want that, or we don't want your model. Okay. Maybe maybe that doesn't answer that question. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, our next question comes from Ian Hurdle. Are you able to offer comparisons in the size of agri agri business food production in Alberta versus gas and oil production produ production slash processing? Oh, yeah. I don't have the figures with me right now. Uh, but we're a large part of the Alberta economy. In fact, 
behind oil and gas, and that we were the second largest industry, basically, uh, for Alberta on exports. So we're in the billions of dollars with agriculture export. Uh, oil and gas industry was leading uh, with their, you know, their exports and and their cost structure and and usage, but. Uh, since the turn down in gas and oil prices and that has brought us a lot more to a level playing field. Um, <clears throat> they're both, I guess, because our industry is agriculture is a heavily carbon, carbon industry to a certain degree. We, lot, we use a lot of carbon in our, I guess, our day-to-day efforts as we go forward. Uh, so the oil and gas industry is important to us too as, as agriculture producers. Uh, I know we have people saying, okay, Let's get rid of the oil and gas industry right away, and we're going to camp a lot. But they don't realize the effects that that would happen. So if you turned around and you just destroyed what you would see as uh, the oil and gas industry and the infrastructure and basically restrict that, that whole system, you're going to have a, a, you know, an effect on a lot of other industries that people depend on. So we're saying our industry is really important. It can be you know, one of the economic drivers of the future. In fact, we're promoting it as one of the bright spots uh, in the Alberta economy uh, for the recovery of the COVID-19. So we think investment in agriculture uh, is very warranted by the government and and the public and by producers. And we're saying we're willing as an industry to step up and make those investments, but we need some insurance for the long run because of the wide uh, swings within our markets and and that, so we need some assurances as we go forward. Okay, our next question comes from Knut Peterson. The cost of land has gone through the roof over the last decade, largely because of big corporate farms, basically making it impossible to get started for new young farmers. Are you concerned? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are concerned, and and we recognize. Uh, as an industry and as an organization, the, the cost of actually getting into agriculture <clears throat> on the basis of a lot of uh, farms as they are now uh, basically is almost impossible unless you marry into it or you inherit it uh, and, and you sort of come up within the argument. We know it's very costly, and, and the cost of land is not good for the guys entering. It's great for us, like my age now, that are thinking of, well, maybe I need to you know, to step back in that and, and that end of it. But there's got to be a, a compromise in there, uh, we, we feel. And we need some of the, the, the programming in that. I guess the consolidation of farms has gone on for a long time. Uh, the average size of farms has gotten bigger and bigger. What a lot of people will call corporate farms, basically, uh, <clears throat> the majority are not corporate farms, basically, in the sense of a corporation. They're more, they're family farms that have, that are, you know, have incorporated and they got the company uh, with the family members owning that, that company. There is, though, uh, some uh, different investors in farmland now, and it is becoming more more of an issue as we go forward. Like Manual Life Insurance Company now has been buying up uh, farmland as an investment. The Ontario Teachers Pension Fund has been buying land in our area. Uh, we've got other corporations that have come in um, to do it and, and buy land. Um, I know of a couple, especially in Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, they've increased the the farmers increased 
his farm holdings and and one I know is basically over a hundred thousand acres that they increased in the last what ten years. And when you talk to the person, basically he says, "Well, I got investors." Uh, so <clears throat> basically, the, the way they're getting around some of the the ownership rules of being Canadian citizens uh, for foreign entities, basically, is you form a company that people invest in your company, and then you maybe still you got your shares, and so the company invests, and that that's how they're getting around some of the the rules on that end of it. But the price of land is really expensive in that. Uh, and I guess we've talked about this before. I see in the future there's going to be two types of farming. There's going to be the large farmers, which are going to more uh, rely on the export market and exporting their crops. And then you're going to have the local food market as our population increases. There's going to be an opportunity for that local food market to expand. And they're going to be the, you know, the, the 30 acre, the quarter section farms uh, in the future. Our next question comes from um, Henny Mundell. As a former federal public plant breeder, and then in brackets AAFC here 1978, with great support from the provinces uh, through a program called Farming of the Future, producer groups and crop industry, I appreciate your support for public breeding. So I guess that's more comment versus a question, but maybe you'd like to... Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I appreciate that remark because <clears throat> I guess our feeling, and I've been involved in this industry a long time, as you can see, you know, with a, a bit of a gray hair sitting here. Uh, <clears throat> public funding that the federal government has done and, and the provincial government is 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 a lifeblood of our industry. If we want to keep control of it, and we want to have some issues. Uh, that we can bring forward and control of this whole industry as producers. Without that investment in the public uh, research uh, in the future, and if that's withdrawn, then you're going to see more and more of the agriculture industry being commercialized, and it's going to be controlled by fewer and fewer entities in the future. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Would you be able to comment further on the research on seaweed as livestock feed? Uh, is this a very viable practice in the short term? Uh, it's one of the things that have been raised up on one of our board members, Grace McGregor, uh, basically has been looking into this. Too. She's one of our, our, our board members that likes to look at some of this stuff because they are livestock producers themselves. And she's saying with the research that's being done and that, uh, <clears throat> It is an industry that can be viable. It just needs some more development, maybe a little bit more research dollars. Uh, the results, I, from according to Grace, were, were quite surprising on the reduction of methane gas uh, when it was sort of added into that uh, into the animal's diet. So a lot of it, I think, is going to be depend on the research that's done and the cost of that product, uh, what's it's going to have an effect on, on the price of feeding. Our next question comes from Ian Hurdle. What present? What percentage is the agriculture on the prairies of Canadian agriculture? Ah, <laughs> uh, huge. <laughs> That's what's going. It's in the billions of dollars. I mean, you look at Saskatchewan, Manitoba. <clears throat> Alberta, BC, 
uh, when you when you talk about the Western provinces. That whole industry is huge. I mean, we're not as big a province as Ontario, Quebec, and that. But uh, probably in the scheme of things, we're probably close to maybe about two thirds of the whole thing. Uh, but it depends on the type of uh, industries you're talking. If you're talking more about the food industry and that, well, that's different. BC and Ontario and, and the Maritime or uh, Eastern provinces are the, are the ones that are doing in that type of uh, food industry. So it just depends on which part of the industry you're talking about. When you're talking about supply management, uh, <clears throat> the large supply management is, I guess, uh, industry is located uh, in, in, in the east in Ontario and Quebec because of the population, because you're being close to your population, you're serving that population. And the formula of, of the for production for your your supply management groups basically is based on your, your your usage in your province and that and there is some export uh you know trade between provinces but it's basically based on your province so a lot of the um, in those type of industries rely on the population in, in the region our next question comes from mark goodall are you looking forward to driving your first electric powered tractor when do you think that may be happening uh, it's going to be uh, a bit of time before that technology really gets uh, up and running. I think what you're going to see to begin with is electric diesel power units as we go along. And, you're, and there is some work being done on autonomous uh, uh, agriculture implements. And basically that, auto that autonomous implements will be smaller uh, you know, power units or tractors and smaller uh, tillage or seating equipment. Uh, behind there, but it'll work 24 hours a day instead of, you know, uh, the 8 to 14 hours a day that uh, a lot of people do. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, artificial intelligence and the development of that is hooked into this whole thing, too, because uh, <clears throat> we need that aspect of technology to, to really come forward and being more useful to us because our rural connectivity on the internet and our ability to access uh, let's say that G5 technology which needs to be done for a lot of autonomous um, uh, operations is not here at this point in time and that's another issue that we're working on is connectivity in, uh, in, in rural areas. Our next question comes from Knud Peterson. Greenhouse farming of vegetables has great potential is your organization actively promoting the endeavor? Uh, well, greenhouse industries, yes. Uh, we promote it where it makes sense, in economic sense. Um, the greenhouse industry is, I guess, is larger in eastern Canada because of the population. It's closer to that. Uh, we do have quite a greenhouse industry in, uh, in Alberta. And one of my friends from B.C., uh, Stan Vanderwall has basically a huge greenhouse. He's probably got about 40 acres of greenhouse out in the Turn area, uh, <clears throat> which is a new development. But yeah, greenhouse agriculture is coming. Uh, but the downside of greenhouse uh, agriculture basically is the energy that, over the winter months that is used. Uh, I know uh, the natural gas bill for, for some of the greenhouse uh, to continue their operations and run their things is, is just horrendous. Uh, and they did get uh, a 50% reduction on their carbon tax as a greenhouse operator from the, from the federal government. So that, that, that helped them, but 
their costs of production are are huge too i guess when it comes down to it okay that was all our questions and before we wrap up our session today do you have a take-home message for our viewers uh, <clears throat> yeah <laughs> i didn't work on this very much <laughs> she's laughing <laughs> anyways um i guess agriculture affects everybody would be my message uh, we all participate in agriculture every time we sit down at the table and eat or we have a snack. You're participating in agriculture. So what I would say, we would really like people to, and, and people that are not involved in agriculture to, to really take a serious look. Uh, there's a lot of, I guess, special interest groups that are running around there and, and the Internet and uh, these things basically have uh, caused a lot of trouble for agriculture. Um, there's there's so much false information running around there and false and everybody has an idea and they get spread it and like the old saying you, you say it three times people start to believe you. The more you say it the more they believe you. <laughs> yeah. That issue is, is common out there. So one of the things we would encourage people is get involved. Uh, we're happy to see people more involved in knowing where the food comes from and, and wanting to get involved. Uh, I mean, if you can support agriculture and buy local, if you can, we, we always put that promotion out there. And if you want to get involved farther, like uh, with our organization, we, we basically have a, a, a membership design for the urban public. Uh, basically it's just a, an association fee, basically, of 25 bucks. Uh, it allows you to participate within the conversations on our organization. And uh, if people are interested, they can buy that associate membership. They, they don't get the vote on that, but they get to express their opinions and bring their opinions forward to us as agriculture producers, which is valuable. Okay. Lovely. Thank you so much. Uh, there's um, a few thank yous in the queue. Lynn, Lynn, thank you for your presentation this morning and covering such a wide array of issues facing farmers. On behalf of SACPA, thank you very much for coming here today and for, um, for your talk. Um, everybody, I hope you'll join us next week when we have Paul Hinman, interim leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party on the Wild Rose Independence Party's vision for Alberta. So we hope you'll join us again next week. And um, that'll be the end of today's session. And make sure to give us a like if you uh, like our channel, please. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks everybody.